CD7. On making gentle inquiries of a family watching disconsolately as the smoke from the fire was turned to steam, William ascertained that the blaze had been mysteriously caused by mysterious spontaneous combustion in an overflowing mysterious chip pan full of boiling fat. William left them picking through the blackened remains of their home. And it's just a story, he said, putting away the notebook. It does make me feel a bit of a vampire. Oh, sorry. It is okay, said Otto. I understand. And I should like to thank you for giving me this job. It means a lot to me, especially since I can see how nervous you are, which is understandable, of course. I'm not nervous. I'm very much at home with other species, said William hotly. Otto's expression was amicable, but it was also as penetrative as the smile of a vampire can be. Yes, I notice how careful you are to be friendly with the dwarfs, and you are kind to me also. It is a big effort which is very commendable. William opened his mouth to protest and gave up. "'All right. Look, it's the way I was brought up, all right? My father was definitely very... in favour of humanity. Well, ha! Not humanity in the sense of... I mean, it was more that he was against. Yes, yes, I understand. And that's all there is to it. Okay, we can all decide who we're going to be. Yes, yes, sure. And if you want any advice about women, you only have to ask. Why should I want advice about vi women? Oh, no reason, no reason at all,' said Otto innocently. "'Anyway, you're a vampire. "'What advice could a vampire give me about women?' "'Oh, my word! "'Wake up and smell the garlic! "'All the stories I could tell you!' Otto paused. "'But I won't, because I don't do that sort of thing any more, "'now that I have seen the daylight!' "'He nudged William, who was red with embarrassment. "'Let us just say they don't always scream.' "'That's a bit tasteless, isn't it?' "'Oh, that was in the bad old days,' said Otto hurriedly. "'Now I like nothing better than a nice mug of cocoa "'and a good sing-song around the harmonium, I assure you. "'Oh, yes, my word!' "'Getting into the office to write up the story "'turned out to be a problem. "'In fact, so was getting into Gleam Street. "'Otto caught William up as he stood and stared. "'Well, I suppose we asked for it,' he shouted. Twenty-five dollars is a lot of money.' "'What?' shouted William. "'I said twenty-five dollars is a lot of money, William.' "'What?' Several people pushed past them. They were carrying dogs. Everyone in Gleam Street was carrying a dog, or leading a dog, or being dragged by a dog, or being savaged, despite the owner's best efforts, by a dog belonging to someone else. The barking had already gone beyond mere sounds, and was now some kind of perceptible force hitting the eardrums like a hurricane made of scrap iron. William pulled the vampire into a doorway where the din was merely unbearable. "'Can't you do something?' he screamed. "'Otherwise we'll never get through!' "'Like what?' "'Well, you know, all that children of the night business.' "'Oh, that,' said Otto. He looked glum. "'That's really very stereotypical, you know. "'Why don't you ask me to turn into a bat while you're about it? "'I told you I don't do that stuff no more.' "'Have you got a better idea?' A few feet away, a Rottweiler was doing its best to eat a spaniel. "'Oh, very well,' Otto waved his hands vaguely. The barking ceased instantly, and then every dog sat on its haunches and howled. "'Not a huge improvement, but at least they're not fighting,' said William, hurrying forward. "'Oh, well, I'm sorry. Stake me as you pass,' said Otto. "'I shall have a very embarrassing five minutes explaining this at the next meeting, you understand? "'I know it's not a sucking item, but I mean one should care about the look of the thing.' They climbed over a rotting fence and entered the shed via the back door. People and dogs were squeezing in through the other door and were only held at bay by a barricade of desks and also by Sakarissa, 
who was looking harassed as she faced a sea of faces and muzzles. William could just make out her voice above the din. "'No, that's a poodle. It doesn't look a bit like the dog we're after.' "'No, that's not it. How do I know? Because it's a cat. "'All right, then why is it washing itself? "'No, I'm sorry, dogs don't do that. "'No, madam, that's a bulldog. "'No, that's not it. No, sir, I know that's not it. "'Because it's a parrot, that's why. "'You've taught it to bark and you've painted dog on the side of it, "'but it's still a parrot.' "'Sacharissa pushed her hair out of her eyes and caught sight of William. "'Well, now, who's been a clever boy?' she said. "'Who's a clever boy?' said the dog. "'How many more out there? Hundreds, I'm afraid. "'Well, I've just had the most unpleasant half-hour of... "'That's a chicken! It's a chicken, you stupid woman! "'It's just laid an egg of my life, and I would like to thank you very much. "'You'll never guess what happened. No, that's a schnauswitzer. "'And you know what, William?' "'What?' said William. "'Some complete muffin offered a reward. "'In Ankh-Morpork, can you believe that?' They were queuing three deep when I got here. I mean, what kind of idiot would do a thing like that? I mean, one man had a cow. A cow! I had a huge argument about animal physiology before Rocky hit him over the head. The poor trolls out there now, trying to keep order. There's ferrets out there. Look, I'm sorry. I wonder if we can be of any assistance? They turned. The speaker was a priest, dressed in the black unadorned and unflattering habit of the Omnians. He had a flat, broad-brimmed hat, the Omnians' turtle symbol around his neck, and an expression of almost terminal benevolence. Mm, "'I am a brother upon which the angels dance pin,' said the priest, stepping aside to reveal a mountain in black. "'And this is Sister Jennifer, who is under a vow of silence.' They stared up at the apparition of Sister Jennifer, while Brother Pin went on, that means she does not talk at all in any circumstances. Oh, dear, said Sacharissa weakly. One of Sister Jennifer's eyes was revolving in a face that was like a brick wall. Yes, and we happened to be in Ankh-Morpork as part of the Bishop Horn Ministry to Animals and heard that you were looking for a little doggy who is in trouble, said Brother Pin. I can see you are... Um, a little overwhelmed, and perhaps we can help. It would be our duty. The dog's a little terrier, said Sacharissa, but you'd be amazed at what people are bringing in. Dear me, said Brother Pin, but Sister Jennifer is very good at this sort of thing. Sister Jennifer strode to the front desk. A man hopefully held up what was clearly a badger. He's been a bit ill. Sister Jennifer brought her fist down on the man's head. William winced. Sister Jennifer's order believes in tough love, said Brother Pin. A little correction at the right time can prevent a lost soul taking the wrong path. Which order is this she belongs to, please? said Otto, as the lost soul carrying his badger staggered out, his legs trying to take several paths at once. Brother Pin gave him a damp smile. The little flowers of perpetual annoyance, he said. Really? I had not heard of this one. Very outreaching. "'Well, I must go and see if the imps have done their job properly.' Certainly the crowd was thinning rapidly under the stress of seeing the advancing Sister Jennifer, especially that segment of it that had brought dogs which purred or ate sunflower seeds. Many of those who had brought an actual living dog were looking nervous as well. A sense of unease crept over William. He knew that some sections of the Omnian Church still believed that the way to send a soul to heaven was to give the body hell, 
and Sister Jennifer couldn't be blamed for her looks, or even the size of her hands, and even if the backs of said hands were rather hairy, well, that was the sort of thing that happened out there in rural districts. "'What exactly is she doing?' he said. There were yelps and shouts in the queue as dogs were grabbed, glared at, and thrust back with more than minimum force. "'As I said, we're trying to find the little dog,' said Brother Pin. "'It may need ministering to.' "'But that wire-haired terrier there looks pretty much like the picture,' said Sacharissa. "'And she's just ignored it.' "'Sister Jennifer is very sensitive in these matters,' said Brother Pin. "'Oh, well, this is not getting the next edition filled,' said Sacharissa, heading back to her desk. "'I expect it would help if we could print in colour,' said William, when he was left alone with Brother Pin. "'Probably,' said the Reverend Brother. "'It was a kind of greyish-brown.' William knew then that he was dead. It was only a matter of time. "'You know what colour you're looking for,' he said quietly. "'You just get on with sorting out the words, writer boy,' said Brother Pin, for his ears only. He opened the jacket of his frock coat, just enough for William to see the range of cutlery holstered there, and closed it again. "'This isn't anything to do with you, OK? Shout out, and someone gets killed. Try to be a hero, and someone gets killed. Make any kind of sudden move, and someone gets killed. In fact, we might as well kill someone anyway and save some time, eh?' Hey? "'You know that stuff about the pen being mightier than the sword?' "'Yes,' said William hoarsely. "'Want to try?' Uh, "'No.' William caught sight of Goodmountain, who was staring at him. "'What's that dwarf doing?' said Brother Pin. "'He's setting type, sir,' said William. "'It was always wise to be polite to edged weapons. "'Tell him to get on with it,' said Pin. "'Um, if you could just get on with it, Mr Goodmountain,' said William, "'raising his voice over the growls and yelps, "'everything is fine.' Goodmountain nodded and turned his back. He held up one hand theatrically and then started to assemble type. William watched. It was better than semaphore as the hand dipped from box to box. H-E-S space A space F-A-W-E W. W is in the box next to K. Yes, indeed, said William. Pin glanced at him. Yes, indeed, what? "'I, er, it was just nerves,' said William. "'I'm always nervous in the presence of swords.' "'Pin glanced at the dwarfs. "'They all had their backs to him. "'Goodmountain's hand moved again, "'flicking letter after letter from its nest. "'A-R-M-E-D, question mark, space. "'C-O-F-F, space. "'Four, space. "'Y-E-S. "'Something wrong with your throat?' said Mr Pin, "'after William coughed. "'Just nerves again, sir?' OK space W I L L space G E T space O T T O. Oh no, William muttered. Where's that dwarf going? said Pin, his hand reaching into his coat. Just to the cellar, sir, to fetch some ink. Why? Looks like you've got lots of ink up here already. Um, the white ink, sir, for the spaces and the middle of the O's. William leaned towards Mr. Pin and shuddered when the hand reached inside the jacket again. Look, the dwarfs are all armed, too, with axes, and they get excited very easily. I'm the only person anywhere near you who hasn't got a weapon. Please, I don't want to die just yet. Just do whatever you came to do and go. It was a pretty good impression of an abject coward, he thought, because it was casting for type. Pin glanced away. How are we doing, Sister Jennifer? he said. Sister Jennifer held up a struggling sack. "'Got all the ink terriers,' he said. 
Brother Pin shook his head sharply. "'Got all the interiors,' fluted Sister Jennifer, in a much higher register. "'And there's in watchman at the end of the street.' Out of the corner of his eye, William saw Sacharissa sit bolt upright. Death was certainly somewhere on the agenda now. Otto was climbing unconcernedly up the cellar steps, one of his iconograph boxes swinging from his shoulder. He nodded at William. Behind him, Sacharissa was pushing her chair back. Back in front of his case of type, Good Mountain was feverishly setting H-I-D-E space Y-O-U-R space E-Y-E-S. Mr. Pin turned to William. "'What do you mean?' "'White ink for the spaces.' Sacharissa was looking angry and determined, like Mrs. Arcanum after an uncalled-for remark. The vampire raised his box. William saw the hod above it, crammed with Ubervaltian land eels. Mr. Pin thrust back his coat. William leapt towards the advancing girl, rising through the air like a frog through treacle. Dwarfs started to jump over the low barrier to the print room with axes in their hands, and... "'Bull,' said Otto. Time stopped. William felt the universe fold away, the little globe of walls and ceilings peeling back like the skin of an orange, leaving a chilly, rushing darkness filled with needles of ice. There were voices, cut off, random syllables of sound, and again the feeling that he'd felt before, that his body was as thin and insubstantial as a shadow. Then he landed on top of Sacharissa, threw his arms around her, and rolled them both behind the welcome barrier of the desks. Dogs howled. People swore, dwarfs yelled, furniture smashed. William lay still until the thunder died away. It was replaced by groans and swearing. Swearing was a positive indication. It was dwarfish swearing, and it meant that the swearer was not only alive, but angry too. He raised his head carefully. The far door was open. There was no queue, no dogs. There was the sound of running feet and furious barking out in the street. The back door was swinging on its hinges. William was aware of the pneumatic warmth of Sacharissa in his arms. This was an experience of the sort which, in a life devoted to arranging words in a pleasing order, he had not dreamed would, well, obviously dreamed, his inner editor corrected him, better make that expected would have come his way. "'I'm dreadfully sorry,' he said. "'That was technically a white lie,' the editor said, like thanking your aunt for the lovely handkerchiefs. "'It's OK, it's OK.' He drew away carefully and got unsteadily to his feet. The dwarfs were also staggering upright. One or two of them were being noisily sick. The body of Otto Shriek was crumpled on the floor. The departing brother Pin had got one expert cut in, at neck height, before leaving. "'Oh, my gods!' said William. "'What a dreadful thing to happen!' "'What, having your head cut off?' said Bodney, who'd never liked the vampire. "'Yes, I expect you could say that.' "'We ought to do something for him.' "'Really?' "'Yes. I'd have been killed for sure if he hadn't used those eels. "'Excuse me. Excuse me, please.' The sing-song voice was coming from under the printer's bench. Good Mountain knelt down. "'Oh, no,' he said. "'What is it?' said William. "'It's, uh, well, it's Otto.' "'Excuse me, please. Could someone get me out of here?' Good Mountain, grimacing, pushed his hand into the darkness while the voice continued— "'Oh, crikey, there is a dead rat under here. "'Someone must have dropped their lunch. "'How sordid! "'Not the ear, please, not the ear! "'By the hair, please!' "'The hand came out, holding Otto's head by the hair as he requested. "'The eyes swivelled. "'Everyone all right?' said the vampire. "'That was a close shave, yes?' "'Are you all right, Otto?' said William, "'realising that this was a winning entrant "'in the really stupid things to say contest. "'What? "'Oh, yes, yes, I think so.' 
mustn't grumble. Pretty good, really. It's just that I seem to have had my head cut off, which you could say is a bit of a drawback. <laughs> That's not Otto, said Sacharissa. She was shaking. Of course it is, said William. I mean, who else could it... Otto's taller than that, said Sacharissa, and burst out laughing. The dwarfs started to laugh, too, because at that moment they would laugh at anything. Otto didn't join in very enthusiastically. Oh, yes, ho, 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 he said. The famous Ankh-Morpork sense of humour. What a funny joke. Talk about laugh. Do not mind me. Sacharissa was gasping for breath. William grabbed her as gently as he could, because this was the kind of laughter you died of, and now she was crying, great racking sobs that bubbled up through the laughs. I wish I was dead, she sobbed. You shall try it sometime, said Otto. Mr. Goodmountain, take me to my body, please. It is around here somewhere. Do you, should we, do you have to sew? Goodmountain tried. No, we heal easily, said Otto. Ah, there it is. If you could just put me down by me, please, and turn around. This is a bit, you know, embarrassing. Like the making of the water. Still wincing in the after-effects of the dark light, the dwarfs obeyed. After a moment they heard, "'Okay, you can look now.' Otto, all in one piece, was sitting up and dabbing at his neck with a handkerchief. "'Got to be a stake in the heart as well,' he said as they stared. "'So, what was all that about, please? The dwarf said to make a distraction.' "'We didn't know you used dark light,' snapped Good Mountain. "'Excuse me, all I had ready was the land eels, and you said it looked urgent. What did you expect me to do? I'm reformed.' "'That's bad luck, that stuff,' said a dwarf William had come to know as Dozy. "'Oh, yes, you think? Well, I'm the one who is going to have to have his collar laundered,' snapped Otto. William did his best to comfort Sacharissa, who was still trembling. "'Who were they?' she said. "'I'm not sure, but they certainly wanted Lord Vetinari's dog. "'I'm sure that she wasn't a proper virgin, you know.' "'Sister Jennifer certainly looked very odd,' was the most William was going to concede. Sacharissa snorted. "'Oh, no!' "'I was taught by worse than her at school,' she said. "'Sister Credenza could bite through a door. "'No, it was the language. "'I'm sure ing is a bad word. "'She certainly used it like one. "'I mean, you could tell it was a bad word. "'And that priest, he had a knife.' "'Behind them, Otto was in trouble. "'You use it to take pictures?' said Goodmountain. "'Why, yes.' Several of the dwarfs slapped their thighs, half turned away, and did the usual little pantomime that people do to indicate that they just can't believe someone else could be so damn stupid. "'You know it is dangerous,' said Good Mountain. "'Mere superstition,' said Otto. "'All that possibly happens is that a subject's own morphic signature aligns the reasons or thing particles in a phase space according to the temporal relevance theory.' creating the effect of multiple directionless windows which intersect with the illusion of the present and create metaphoric images according to the dictates of quasi-historical extrapolation. You see, nothing mysterious about it at all. It certainly frightened off those people, said William. It was the axes that did that, said Goodmountain firmly. No, it was the feeling that the top of your head has been opened and icicles have been pounded into your brain, said William. Goodmountain blinked. "'Yeah, okay, that too,' he said, mopping his forehead. "'You've got away with words right enough.' A shadow appeared in the doorway. Goodmountain grabbed his axe. William groaned. It was Vimes. Worse, he was smiling in a humourless, predatory way. "'Ah, Mr. De Word,' he said, stepping inside, "'there are several thousand dogs stampeding through the city at the moment. "'This is an interesting fact, isn't it?' 
He leaned against the wall and produced a cigar. "'Well, I say dogs,' he said, striking a match on Goodmanton's helmet. "'Mostly dogs, perhaps I should say. Some cats. More cats now, in fact, cause, ha, there's nothing like a, yes, a tidal wave of dogs fighting and biting and owling to sort of, how can I put it, give a city a certain busyness, especially underfoot, because, did I mention it, they're very nervous dogs too. Oh, and did I mention cattle? He went on conversationally. You know how it is, market day and so on, people are driving the cows and, my goodness, round the corner comes a wall of wailing dogs. Oh, and I forgot about the sheep and the chickens. "'although I imagine there's not much left of the chickens now.' "'He stared at William. "'Anything you feel you want to tell me?' he said. "'Ah, uh, we had a bit of a problem.' "'Never. Really? Do tell.' "'The dogs took fright when Mr. Shriek took a picture of them,' said William. "'This was absolutely true. "'Dark light was frightening enough, even if you knew what was happening.' "'Vimes glared at Otto, who looked miserably at his feet. "'Well, now,' said Vimes, "'shall I tell you something?' "'They're electing a new patrician today.' "'Who?' said William. "'I don't know,' said Vimes. "'Sacarissa blew her nose and said, "'It'll be Mr Scrope of the shoemakers and leatherworkers.' "'Vimes gave William a suspicious look. "'How do you know that?' he said. "'Everyone knows,' said Sacarissa. "'That's what the young man in the bakery said this morning.' "'Oh, where would we be without rumour?' said Vimes. "'So this is not a day, Mr De Word, for things to go wrong.' My men are talking to some of the people who brought dogs along. Not many of them, I have to admit. Most of them don't want to talk to their watch. Can't think why. We're very good listeners. Now, is there anything you want to tell me? Vimes looked around the room and back to William. Everyone's staring at you, I notice. The Times does not need any help from the watch, said William. Elpin wasn't what I had in mind. We haven't done anything wrong. I'll decide that. Really? That's an interesting point of view? Vimes glanced down. William had taken his notebook out of his pocket. Oh, he said, I see. He reached down to his own belt and pulled out a blunt, dark length of wood. You know what this is, he said. It's a truncheon, said William. A big stick. Always the last resort, eh? said Vimes, evenly. Rosewood and Lamados silver. A lovely piece of work. And it says on this little plate here that I'm supposed to keep the peace, and you, Mr. De Word, don't look like part of that right now. They locked gazes. What was the odd thing Lord Vetinari did just before the accident? said William, so quietly that probably only Vimes heard it. Vimes didn't even blink, but after a moment he laid the truncheon down on the desk with a click that sounded unnaturally loud in the silence. Now you put your notebook down, lad, he suggested in a quiet voice. That way it's just me and you. No, Clash of symbols. This time William could see where the path of wisdom lay. He put down the book. Right, said Vimes. And now you and me are going to go over to the corner there while your friends tidy up. Amazing, isn't it? How much furniture can get broken just by taking a picture? He went and sat down on an upturned washtub. William made do with a rocking horse. All right, Mr. De Word, we'll do this your way, said Vimes. I didn't know I had a way. "'You're not going to tell me what you know, are you?' "'I'm not sure what I know,' said William. "'But I think Lord Vetinari did something remarkable "'not long before the crime.' "'Vimes pulled out his own notebook and thumbed through it. "'He entered the palace by the stables "'sometime before seven o'clock and dismissed the guard. 
he said. He'd been out all night. Vimes shrugged. His lordship comes and goes. The guards don't ask him where and why. Have they been talking to you? William was ready for the question. He just didn't have an answer. But the palace guard, insofar as he'd met them, weren't men chosen for imagination or flair, but for a kind of obstructive loyalty. They didn't sound like a potential deep bone. I don't think so, he said. Oh, you don't think so? Hold on, hold on. Deep Bone claimed to know the dog Waffles, and a dog ought to know if his master was acting oddly. Dogs liked routine. I think it's very unusual for his lordship to be outside the palace at that time, said William carefully. Not part of the routine. Nor is stabbing your clerk and trying to run off with a very heavy sack of cash, said Vimes. Yeah, we noticed that too. We're not stupid. We only look stupid. Oh, and the guard said he smelt spirits on his lordship's breath. Does he drink? Not so as you'd notice. He's got a drinks cabinet in his office. Vimes smiled. You notice that? He likes other people to drink. But all that might mean was that he was plucking up the courage to... William began and stopped. No, that's not veterinary. He's not that sort. No, he isn't, said Vimes. He sat back. Perhaps you'd better... Think again, Mr. DeWord. Maybe, maybe you can find someone to help you think better. Something in his manner suggested that the informal part of the discussion was well and truly over. Do you know much about Mr. Scrope? said William. Tuttle Scrope? Son of old Tuskin Scrope, president of the Guild of Cobblers and Leatherworkers for the past seven years, said Vimes. Family man, old established shop in Wixon's Alley. That's all? Mr. DeWord, that's all the watch knows about Mr. Scrope. You understand? You wouldn't want to know about some of the people we know a lot about. Ah, William's brow wrinkled. But there's not a shoe shop in Wixon's Alley. I never mentioned shoes. In fact, the only shop that is even uh, remotely connected with leather is... That's the one, said Vimes. But that sells. Comes under the heading of leather work, said Vimes, picking up his truncheon. Well, yes, and rubber work and feathers and whips and... "'Little jiggly things,' said William, blushing, "'but never been in there myself, "'although I believe Corporal Nobbs gets their catalogue,' said Vimes. "'I don't think there's a guild of makers of little jiggly things, "'though it's an interesting thought. "'Anyway, Mr Scrope is all nice and legal, Mr DeWord. "'Nice old family atmosphere, I understand. "'Makes buying this and that and little jiggly things "'as pleasant as half a pound of humbugs, I don't doubt. "'And what rumour is telling me?' is that the first thing nice Mr Scrope will do is pardon Lord Vetinari. What? Without a trial? Won't that be nice, said Vimes, with horrible cheerfulness. A good start to his term of office, eh? Clean sheet, fresh start, no sense in raking up unpleasantness, poor chap, overwork, bound to crack, didn't get enough fresh air, and so on. So it can be put away in some nice quiet place and we'll be able to stop worrying about this old wretched affair. A bit of a relief, eh? But you know he didn't... Do I? said Vimes. This is an official truncheon of office, Mr. DeWord. If it was a club with a nail in it, this would be a different sort of city. I'm off now. You've been thinking, you tell me. Maybe you ought to think some more. William watched him go. Sacharissa had pulled herself together, perhaps because no one was trying to comfort her any more. What are we going to do now? she said. I don't know. Get a paper out, I suppose. That's our job. But what happens if those men come back? I don't think they will. This place is being watched now. Sacharissa started to pick papers up off the floor. 
I suppose I'll feel better if I do something. That's the spirit. If you can give me a few paragraphs about that fire... Otto got a decent picture, said William. Didn't you, Otto? Oh, yes, that one is okay, but... The vampire was staring down at his iconograph. It was smashed. Oh, I'm so sorry, said William. I have others, Otto sighed. You know, I thought it would be easy in the big city, he said. I thought it would be civilised. They told me mobs didn't come after you with pitchforks in the big city like they do back in Shishia. I mean, I try. God's knows I try. Three months, four days, and seven hours on the wagon. I give up the whole thing. Even the pale ladies with the velvet basques worn on the outside and the fetching black lace dresses and those tiny little, you know, high-heeled boots, and that was a wrench, I don't mind telling you. He shook his head miserably and stared at his ruined shirt. And stuff all gets broken, and now my best shirt is covered with... blood... covered with... red... red blood rich... dark blood... the blood covered with the blood... the blood... Quick, said Sacharissa, pushing past William. Mr. Goodmountain, you hold his arms. She waved at the dwarfs. I was ready for this. Two of you hold his legs. Dozy, there's a huge blutfurst in my desk drawer. Let me walk in sunshine, leaving not in vain, Otto crooned. Oh, my God, his eyes are glowing red, said William. What shall we do? We could try cutting his head off again, said Bodney. That was a very poor joke, Bodney, Sacharissa snapped. Joke? I was smiling. Otto stood up, the cursing dwarfs hanging off his sparse frame. Through thunderstorm and dreadful night, we will carry on the fight. He's as strong as an ox, said Good Mountain. Hang on, maybe it would help if we joined in, said Sacharissa. She fumbled in her bag and produced a slim blue pamphlet. I picked this up this morning from the mission in Abattoir's Lane. It's their songbook. And, she started to sniff again, it's so sad. It's called Walking in Sunshine, and it's so... You want us to have a sing-song? said Good Mountain, as the struggling Otto lifted him off the ground. Just to give him moral support. Sacharissa dabbed at her eyes with a handkerchief. You can see he's trying to fight it, and he did lay down his life for us. Yes, but then he picked it up again. William bent down and took up something from the wreckage of Otto's iconograph. The imp had escaped, but the picture that it had painted was just visible. Perhaps it had show... It wasn't a good one of the man who'd called himself Brother Pin. His face was just a white blob in the glare of the light that humans couldn't see, but the shadows behind him... He looked closer. Oh, my gods! The shadows behind him were alive. It was sleeting. Brother Pin and Sister Tulip slid and slithered through the freezing drops. Behind them, whistles were blowing in the murk. Come on! Pin yelled. These ing sacks are heavy! They were whistled, blowing off to one side now, too. Mr. Pin wasn't used to this. Watchmen shouldn't be enthusiastic or organised. He'd been chased by watchmen before, when plans hadn't quite worked out. Their job was to give up at the second corner, out of breath. He felt quite angry about that. The watchmen here were doing it wrong. He was aware of an open space to one side of him, full of damp, swirling flakes. Below him there was a sluggish, sucking noise, like a very bad digestion. This is a bridge. Chuck them in the river, he commanded. I thought we wanted to find... Doesn't matter. Get rid of all of them. Right now, end of problem. Sister Tulip grunted a reply and skidded to a halt at the parapet. The two whining, yapping sacks went straight on over. Did that sound like a ing splash to you? said Sister Tulip, peering through the sleet. Who cares? Now run! Mr Pin shivered as he sped on. He didn't know what had been done to him back there. 
but he'd felt like he'd walked over his own grave. He felt he had more than just watchmen after him. He speeded up. In reluctant but marvellous harmony, because no one could sing like a group of dwarfs, even if the song was May I Suck of Water Pure, in other circumstances it would have been as likely as cows singing Let Me Be Covered in Rapturous Gravy, the dwarfs seemed to be calming Otto down. Besides, the horrible black emergency blutwurst had finally been produced. For a vampire, this was the equivalent of a cardboard cigarette to a terminal nicotine addict, but it was at least something he could get his teeth into. When William finally tore his gaze away from the horror of the shadows, Saccharissa was mopping Otto's brow. "'Oh, once again I am so ashamed. Where can I put my head? It's so—' William held up the picture. "'Otto, what's this?' In the shadows were mouths screaming. In the shadows were eyes wide. They didn't move while you watched them, but if you looked at the picture a second time you got a feeling that they weren't quite in the same place. Otto shuddered. "'Oh, I used all the eels I had,' he said. "'And?' "'Oh, they're awful,' breathed Saccharissa, looking away from the tortured shadows. "'I feel so wretched,' said Otto. "'Obviously they were too strong. "'Tell us, Otto. "'Well, the iconograph does not lie. "'You have heard this, of course.' "'Yes, well, under strong dark light, "'the picture really does not lie. "'Dark light reveals the truth to the dark eyes of the mind.' "'He paused and sighed. Ah, oh, once again, no ominous roll of thunder, what a waste. But at least you could look apprehensively at the shadows. All heads turned towards the shadows in the corner of the room and under the roof. They were simply shadows, haunted by nothing more than dust and spiders. But there's just dust and... Sacharissa began. Otto held up a hand. Dear lady, I have just told you. Philosophically, the truth can be what is metaphorically there. William stared at the picture again. I had hoped that I could use filters and so on to cut down on the uh, unwanted effects, said Otto behind him. But, alas, this gets worse and worse, said Saccharissa. It gives me the humorous vegetables. Good Mountain shook his head. This is unholy stuff, he said. No more meddling with it, understand? I didn't think dwarfs were religious, said William. We are not, said Good Mountain. But we know unholy when we see it, and I'm looking at it right now. I'm telling you, I don't want any more of these, these prints of darkness. William grimaced. It shows the truth, he thought. But how do we know the truth when we see it? The Ephebian philosophers think that a hare can never outrun a tortoise, and they can prove it. Is that the truth? I heard a wizard say that everything is made up of little numbers, whizzing around so fast that they become stuff. Is that true? I think a lot of things that have been happening over the last few days are not what they seem, and I don't know why I think that, but I think it's not the truth. Yes, no more of this stuff, Otto, he said. Damn right, said Good Mountain. Let's just try to get back to normal and get a paper out, shall we? You mean normal where mad priests start to collect dogs, or normal where vampires mess around with evil shadows, said Gowdy. I mean like normal before that, said William. Oh, I see, you mean like back in the old days said Gowdy. After a while, though, silence settled on the press-room, although there was an occasional sniff from the desk opposite. William wrote a story about the fire. That was easy. But then he tried to write a coherent account of the recent events, but found he couldn't get beyond the first word. He'd written the. It was a reliable word, the definite article, 
The trouble was, all the things he was definite about were bad. He'd expected to, what, inform people, yes, annoy people, well, some people at least. What he hadn't expected was that it wouldn't make any difference. The paper came out, and it didn't matter. People just seemed to accept things. What was the point of writing another story on the veterinary business? Well, of course, it had a lot of dogs in it, and there was always a lot of human interest in a story about animals. What did you expect? said Sacharissa, as if she was reading his thoughts. Do you think people would be marching in the streets? Veterinary isn't a very nice man, from what I hear. People say he probably deserves to be locked up. Are you saying people aren't interested in the truth? Listen, what's true to a lot of people is that they need money for the rent by the end of the week. Look at Mr Ron and his friends. What's the truth mean to them? They live under a bridge. She held up a piece of lined paper, crammed edge to edge with the careful looped handwriting of someone for whom holding a pen was not a familiar activity. This is a report of the annual meeting of the Ankh-Morpork Caged Bird Society, she said. They're just ordinary people who breed canaries and things as a hobby. Their chairman lives next door to me, which is why he gave me this. This stuff is important to him. My goodness, but it's dull. It's all about best of breed and some changes in the show rules about parrots which they argued about for two hours. But the people who were arguing were people who mostly spend their day mincing meat or sawing wood and basically leading little lives that are controlled by other people. Do you see? They've got no say in who runs the city, but they can damn well see to it that cockatoos aren't lumped in with parrots. It's not their fault. It's how things are. Why are you sitting there with your mouth open like that? William closed his mouth. All right. I understand. No, I don't think you do, she snapped. I looked you up in Twerp's peerage. Your family have never had to worry about the small stuff, have they? They've been some of the people who really run things. This paper is a kind of hobby for you, isn't it? Oh, you believe in it, I'm sure you do. But if it all goes wahoonie-shaped, you'll still have money. I won't. So if the way it can be kept going is by filling it with what you sneer at as olds, then that's what I'll do. I don't have money. I make my own living. Yes, but you were able to choose. Anyway, aristocrats don't like to see other toffs starving. They find them silly jobs to do for serious wages. She stopped, panting, and pushed some hair out of her eyes. Then she looked at him like someone who has lit the fuse and is now wondering if the barrel at the other end is bigger than they thought. William opened his mouth went to shape a word and stopped. He did it again. Finally, a little hoarsely, he said, you're more or less right. The next word's going to be but, I just know it, said Sakarissa. William was aware that the printers were all watching. Yes, it is. Aha. But it's a big but. Do you mind? It's important. Someone has to care about the big truth. What veterinary mostly does not do is a lot of harm. We've had rulers who are completely crazy and very, very nasty. And it wasn't that long ago, either. Veterinary might not be a very nice man, but I had breakfast today with someone who'd be a lot worse if he ran the city, and there are lots more like him, and what's happening now is wrong. And as for your damn parrot fanciers, if they don't care about anything much beyond things that go squawk in cages, then one day there'll be someone in charge of this place who'll make them choke on their own budgies. You want that to happen? If we don't make an effort, all they'll get is silly stories about talking dogs and elves ate my gerbil. So don't give me lectures on what's important and what's not. Understand? They glared at one another. Don't you talk to me like that. Don't you talk to me like that. 
We're not getting enough advertising. The Inquirer's getting huge adverts from the big guilds, said Sakarissa. That's what'll keep us going, not stories about how much gold weighs. What am I supposed to do about it? Find a way of getting more ads. That's not my job, William shouted. It's part of saving your job. We're just getting penny-a-line advertisements from people wanting to sell surgical supports and backache cures. So, the pennies add up. So you want us to be known as the paper you can put your truss in? Er, uh, excuse me, but are we producing an edition? said Goodmountain. Not that we aren't enjoying all this, but the colour's going to take a lot of extra time. William and Sakarissa looked round. They were the focus of attention. Look, I know this means a lot to you, said Sakarissa, lowering her voice, but all this political stuff, this is the watch's job, not ours, that's all I'm saying. They're stuck, that's what Vimes was telling me. Sakarissa stared at his frozen expression. Then she leaned over and, to his shock, patted his head. Perhaps you are having an effect, then. Ha! Well, if they're going to pardon Vetinari, maybe it's because they're worried about you. Ha! Anyway, who are they? Well, you know, them. The people who run things. They notice things. They probably read the paper. William gave her a wan smile. Tomorrow we'll find someone to get more ads, he said. And we'll definitely need those extra staff. Ah, uh, I'm going to go for a little walk, he added. And I'll get you that key. Key? You wanted a dress for the ball? Oh, yes, thank you. And I don't think those men will be back, said William. I've got a feeling that there isn't a shed anywhere in town that's as well guarded as this one right at the moment. Because Vimes is waiting to see who tries to get at us next, he thought. But he decided not to say so. What exactly are you going to do? said Sakarissa. First... I'm going to the nearest apothecary, said William, and then I'm going to drop in at my lodgings for that key, and then I'm going to see a man about a dog. The new firm hurtled through the door of the empty mansion and bolted it behind them. Mr Tulip ripped off the Bride of Innocence outfit and hurled it on the floor. I told you, in clever plans never work, he said. A vampire, said Mr Pin. This is a sick city, Mr Tulip. "'What was that he did to us?' "'He took some kind of picture,' said Mr Pin. "'He closed his eyes for a moment. "'His head was aching. "'Well, I was in disguise,' said Mr Tulip. "'Mr Pin shrugged. "'Even with a metal bucket over his head, "'which would probably begin to corrode after a few minutes, "'there would be something recognisable about Mr Tulip. "'I don't think that will do any good,' he said. "'I hates pictures,' snarled Mr Tulip. Remember that time in Moldavia, all them posters they did? It's bad for a man's health seeing his ing fizz on every wall with dead or alive under it. It's like they can't ing decide. Mr Tulip fished out a small bag of what he had been assured was primo smudge, but which would turn out to be sugar and powdered pigeon guano. Anyway, we must have got the ing dog, he said. We can't be sure, said Mr Pin. He winced again. The headache was getting quite strong. Look, we done that ing job, said Mr Tulip. I don't recall no one telling us about ing werewolves and vampires. That's their ing problem. I say we scrag the geek, take the money and head for Pseudopolis or someplace. You mean quit on a contract? Yeah, when it's got small print you can't ing see. Someone will recognise Charlie, though. 
Seems it's hard for the dead to stay dead around here. I reckon I could help in that ing respect, said Mr Tulip. Mr Pin chewed his lip. He knew better than Mr Tulip that men in their business needed a certain reputation. Things didn't get written down, but the word got about. The new firm sometimes dealt with very serious players, and they were people who took a lot of notice of the word. But Tulip did have a point. This place was getting to Mr Pin. It jarred his sensibilities, vampires and werewolves. Springing that sort of thing on a body, that wasn't according to the rules. That was taking liberties. Yes, there was more than one way to keep a reputation. I think we should go and explain things to our lawyer friend, he said slowly. Right, said Mr Tulip, and then I'll rip his head off. That doesn't kill zombies. Good, cos I need be able to see where I'm going to ing-shove it. And then we'll pay another visit to that newspaper, when it's dark. To get that picture, he thought. That was a good reason. It was a reason that you could tell the world. But there was another reason. That burst of darkness had frightened Mr Pin to his shriveled soul. A lot of memories had come pouring back all at once. Mr. Pin had made a lot of enemies, but that hadn't worried him until now, because all his enemies were dead. But the dark light had fired off bits of his mind, and it had seemed to him that those enemies had not vanished from the universe, but had merely gone a long way away, from which point they were watching him. And it was a long way away only from his point of view. From their point of view, they could reach out and touch him. What he wouldn't say, even to Mr. Tulip, was this— They'd need all the money from this job because, in a flash of dark, he'd seen that it was time to retire. Theology was not a field in which Mr Pin had much knowledge, despite accompanying Mr Tulip to a number of the more well-designed temples and chapels, on one occasion to scrag a high priest who'd tried to double-cross Frank Nutboy Nabs, but the little he had absorbed was suggesting to him that this might be the very best time to take a bit of an interest. He could send them some money, maybe, or at least return some of the stuff he'd taken. Hell, maybe he could start not eating beef on Tuesday or whatever it was you had to do. Maybe that would stop this feeling that the back of his head had just been unscrewed. He knew that would have to be later, though. Right now, the code allowed them to do one of two things. They could follow Slant's instructions to the letter, which would mean they'd maintain a reputation for efficiency, or they could scrag Slant and maybe a few bystanders and leave, perhaps setting fire to a few things on the way out. That was also news that got around. People would understand how upset they were. But first we'll... Mr Pin stopped, and in a strangled voice said, Is someone standing behind me? No, said Mr Tulip. I thought I heard footsteps. No one here but us. Right. Right. Mr Pin shuddered, straightened his jacket, and then looked Mr Tulip up and down. Clean yourself up a bit, will you? "'Sheesh, you're leaking, Dust!' "'I can handle it,' said Mr Tulip. "'Keeps me sharp. Keeps me alert.' Pin sighed. Mr Tulip had amazing faith in the contents of the next bag, whatever it was, and it was usually cat flea powder cut with dandruff. "'Force isn't going to work on slant,' he said. Mr Tulip cracked his knuckles. "'Works on everyone,' he said. "'No. A man like him... "'We'll have a lot of muscle to call on,' said Pin. 
he patted his jacket. "'It's time Mr. Slant said hello to my little friend.' A plank thumped down onto the crusted surface of the River Ank. Shifting his weight with care and gripping the rope tightly in his teeth, Arnold sideways swung himself onto it. It sank a little in the ooze, but stayed, for want of a better word, afloat. A few feet away, the depression that had been left by the first sack landing in the river was already filling up with, for want of a better word, water. He reached the end of the plank, steadied himself and managed to lasso the remaining sack. It was moving. "'He's got it!' shouted the duckman, who was watching from under the ridge. "'Heave away, everybody!' The sack came out of the muck with a sucking sound, and Arnold pulled himself aboard as it was dragged back to the bank. "'Oh, very well done, Arnold,' said the duckman, helping him off the sodden sack and back onto his trolley. "'I really doubted if the surface would support you at this stage of the tide.' "'Bitter look for me, eh, when that cart ran off me legs all them years ago,' said Arnold sideways. "'I'd have drowned else.' Coffin Henry slit the sacking with his knife and tipped the second lot of little terriers onto the ground, where they coughed and sneezed. "'One or two of the little buggers look done for,' he said. "'I'll give them mouth-to-mouth respiration, shall I?' "'Certainly not, Henry,' said the duckman. "'Have you no idea of hygiene?' "'Gino!' "'You can't kiss dogs!' said the duckman. They would catch something dreadful. The crew looked at the dogs that were clustering around their fire. How the dogs had landed in the river was something they didn't bother to wonder about. All sorts of things landed in the river. It was the kind of thing that happened all the time. The crew took a keen interest in floating things, but it was unusual to get this many all at once. "'Maybe it's been raining dogs,' said altogether Andrews, who was being steered by the mind known as Curly.' The crew liked Curly. He was easy to get along with. I heard the other day that's been happening lately. You know what, said Arnold sideways, what we ought to do, right, is get some stuff like wooden stuff and make a boat. We could get a lot more stuff if we had a boat. Ah, yes, said the duckman. I used to mess about in boats when I was a boy. We could boat about in mess, said Arnold. Same thing. Not exactly, said the duckman. He looked at the circle of steaming, retching dogs. "'I wish Gaspard was here,' he said. "'He knows how to think about this sort of thing.' "'A jar,' said the apothecary carefully. "'Sealed with wax,' William repeated. "'And you want an ounce each of oil of aniseed, oil of rampion, and oil of scalatine,' said William. "'I can do the first two said the apothecary, looking at the little list he'd been given. But there is no such thing as a whole ounce of oil of scalatine in the city, you realise. It's fifteen dollars for enough to go on a pinhead. We've got about enough to fill a mustard spoon, and we have to keep that in a soldered lead box under water. I'll take a pinhead's worth, then. You'll never get it off your hands, you know. It isn't really for the average... "'In a bottle,' said William, patiently, "'sealed with wax. "'You won't even smell the other oils. "'What do you want them for?' "'Insurance,' said William. "'Oh, and after you've sealed it, "'wash off the bottle with ether, "'and then wash the ether off.' "'Is this going to be used for some illegal purpose?' "'said the apothecary. "'He caught William's expression. "'Just interested,' he added quickly. When he'd gone to make up the order, William called in at a couple of other shops and bought a pair of thick gloves. When he returned, 
The apothecary was just bringing the oils to the counter. He held a small glass flask filled with liquid. Inside floated a much smaller phial. The outer liquid's water, he said, pulling some plugs out of his nose. Take it carefully, if you don't mind. Drop it, and we can kiss our sinuses goodbye. What does it smell of? said William. Well, if I said cabbage, said the apothecary, I wouldn't be saying the half of it. Next, William went to his lodgings. Mrs. Arcanum was averse to boarders coming back to their rooms during the day, but at the moment William appeared to be outside her frame of reference, and she merely gave him a nod as he went upstairs. The keys were in the old trunk at the end of his bed. It was the one he'd taken to Hugglestone's. He'd kept it ever since, so that he could kick it occasionally. His cheque-book was also in there. He took that, too. His sword rattled as his hand brushed against it. He'd enjoyed swordsmanship at Hugglestone's. It was in the dry. You were allowed to wear protective clothing, and no one attempted to stamp your face into the mud. He'd actually been the champion of the school, but this wasn't because he was much good. It was simply that most of the other boys were so bad. They approached the sport as they approached all others, in a great big keen screaming rush, using the sword as a sort of club. That meant that if William could avoid the first wild stroke, then he was going to win. He left the sword in the trunk. After some reflection, he pulled out one of his old socks and pulled it over the apothecary's bottle. Hurting people with broken glass wasn't part of the plan either. Peppermint. Not a bad choice, but they hadn't known what else was available, had they? Mrs. Arcanum was a great believer in net curtains, so that she could see out while outsiders couldn't see in. William lurked behind the ones in his room until he was certain that an indistinct shape amongst the rooftops opposite was a gargoyle. This wasn't natural gargoyle territory any more than Gleam Street. The thing about gargoyles, he reflected as he stepped back and headed down the stairs, was that they didn't get bored. They were happy to stay and watch anything for days. But while they moved faster than people thought, they didn't move faster than people. He ran through the kitchen so quickly that he only heard Mrs. Arcanum gasp, and then he was through the back door and over the wall and into the alley beyond. Someone was sweeping it. For a moment William wondered if it was a watchman in disguise, or even Sister Jennifer in disguise, but probably there was no one who'd disguise themselves as a gnoll. You'd have to strap a compost heap to your back to begin with. Gnolls ate almost everything. What they didn't eat they collected obsessively. No one had ever studied them to find out why. Perhaps a carefully sorted collection of rotted cabbage stalks was a sign of big status in gnoll society. Ah, no, Mr. Word, croaked the creature, leaning on its shovel. Ah, uh, uh, hello, um, snick. Ah, yes, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. He hurried down another alley, crossed the street and found yet another alley. He wasn't sure how many gargoyles were watching him, but it took them some time to cross streets. How was it that the gnoll had known his name? It wasn't as though they'd met at a party or something. Besides, the gnolls all worked for... Harry King. Well, they did say that the King of the Golden River never forgot a debtor. William ducked and dodged across several blocks, making as much use as he could of the alleys and walkthroughs and noisome courts. He was sure a normal person wouldn't be able to keep track of him, but then he'd be amazed if a normal person was following him. Mr Vimes liked to refer to himself as a simple copper, just as Harry King thought of himself as a rough diamond. William suspected that the world was littered with the remains of those people who had taken them at their word. 
He slowed down and climbed some outside stairs, and then he waited. "'You're a fool,' said the internal editor. "'Some people have tried to kill you. "'You're concealing information from the watch. "'You're mixing with strange people. "'You're about to do something that is going to get so far up Mr Vimes's nose "'it will raise his hat. "'And why?' "'Because it makes my blood tingle,' he thought, "'and because I'm not going to be used. "'By anyone.' There was a faint sound at the end of the alley, which might not have been heard by anyone who wasn't expecting it. It was the sound of something sniffing. William looked down and saw in the gloom a four-legged shape break into a trot while keeping its muzzle close to the ground. William measured the distance carefully. Declaring independence was one thing. Assaulting a member of the watch was a very different thing. He lobbed the fragile bottle so that it would land twenty feet ahead of the werewolf, then he dropped from the stairs onto the top of a wall and jumped down onto a privy roof just as the glass broke with a puff inside the sock. There was a yelp and the sound of scrabbling claws. William jumped from the roof and onto another wall, inched along the top of it and climbed down into another alley and then he ran. It took five minutes dodging into convenient cover and cutting through buildings to arrive at the livery stables. In the general bustle no one took any notice of him. He was just another man coming to fetch his horse. The stall that might or might not have contained deep bone, was occupied by a horse now. It looked down its nose at him. "'Don't turn around, Mr Paperman,' said a voice behind him. William tried to remember what had been behind him. Oh, yes, the hay lift, and huge bags of straw, plenty of room for someone to hide. "'All right,' he said. "'Hark, hark, the dogs do bark,' said Deep Bone. "'You must be mental.' "'But I'm on the right track,' said William. "'I think I've... here. You sure you weren't followed?' "'Corporal Nobbs was on my trail,' said William, "'but I shook him off. "'Ha! Walking round the corner and shake off Nobby Nobbs!' "'Oh, no, he kept right up. "'I knew Vimes would have me tracked,' said William proudly. "'By Nobbs?' "'Yes. Obviously, in his werewolf shape.' "'There, he'd said it. "'But today was a day for shadows and secrets.' "'A werewolf shape?' said Deep Bone, flatly. "'Yes, I'd be grateful if you didn't tell anyone else.' "'Corporal Nobbs,' said Deep Bone, still in the same dull monotone. "'Yes, look, Vimes told me not to—' "'Vimes told you Nobby Nobbs was a werewolf?' "'Well, no, not exactly. I worked that out for myself, "'and Vimes told me not to tell anyone else.' "'About Corporal Nobbs being a werewolf?' "'Yes.' "'Corporal Nobbs is not a werewolf, mister, in any way, shape or form.' Whether he's human is another matter, but he ain't a a linko, a lycanthrop, a bloody werewolf, that's for sure. Then whose nose did I just drop a scent bomb in front of? said William triumphantly. There was a silence, and then there was the sound of a thin trickle of water. Mr Bone, said William. What kind of scent bomb? said the voice. It sounded rather strained. I think oil of scalatine was probably the most active ingredient. Right in front of a werewolf's nose? More or less, yes. Mr Vimes is gonna go ran a twist, said the voice of Deep Bone. He's gonna go totally librarian poo. He's gonna invent new ways of being angry just so he can try them out on you. Then I'd better get hold of Lord Vetinari's dog as soon as possible, said William. He produced his cheque-book. "'I can give you a cheque for fifty dollars, and that's all I can afford.' "'What's one of them, then?' "'It's like a legal I.O.U.' 
Oh, grey, said Deepbone. Not much good to me when you're locked up, though. Right now, Mr. Bone, there's a couple of very nasty men hunting down every terrier in the city, by the sound of it. Terriers? said Deepbone. All terriers? Yes, and while I don't expect you to... Like, pedigree terriers, or just people who might happen to look a bit terrier-like. They didn't look like they were inspecting any paperwork. Anyway, what do you mean, people who look like terriers? Deep Bone went silent again. William said, Fifty dollars, Mr Bone. At length, the sacks of straw said, All right. Tonight, on the Misbegot Bridge, just you. Er, uh, I won't be there, but there will be a messenger. Who shall I make the cheque to? said William. There was no answer. He waited a while, and then eased himself into a position where he could peer around the sacks. There was a rustling from them. Probably rats, he thought, because certainly none of them could hold a man. Deep Bone was a very tricky customer. Some time after William had gone, looking surreptitiously into the shadows, one of the grooms turned up with a trolley and began to load up the sacks. One of them said, "'Put me down, mister!' The man dropped the sack and then opened it cautiously. A small terrier-like dog struggled out, shaking itself free of clinging wisps. Mr Hobson did not encourage independence of thought and an inquiring mind, and at fifty pence a day plus all the oats you could steal, he didn't get them. The groom looked owlishly at the dog. "'Did you just say that?' he said. "'Course not,' said the dog. "'Dogs can't talk, are you stupid or something?' "'Someone's playing a trick on you. Got the gear, got the gear. Big Viano.' "'You mean like throwing their voice? I saw a man do that down at the music hall.' "'That's a ticket. Hold on to that thought.' The groom looked around. "'Is that you playing a trick, Tom?' he said. "'That's right. It's me, Tom,' said the dog. "'I got the trick out of a book. Throwing my voice into this harmless little dog what cannot talk at all.' "'What? You never told me you were learning to read?' "'There were pictures,' said the dog hurriedly. "'Tongues and teeth and that. Dead easy to understand. "'Oh, now the little dog is wandering off.' The dog edged its way to the door. "'Sheesh,' it appeared to say. "'A couple of thumbs and they're lords of bloody creation.' Then it ran for it. End of CD 7